If you're just joining us, if you're just joining us online, uh, I want to welcome you. Uh, we're doing a series which is a little bit unique, and it's called The Lessons We Learn. And the uniqueness of it is the fact that we are kind of looking at both the New Testament and the Old Testament. And I have discovered as I've looked at certain statements and things that have happened in the New Testament, that there are characters that are brought up from the Old Testament. And I think that there's a reason for that. There's, there's a reason why all of a sudden there will be someone under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament write something, a comment, a characterization about an Old Testament character. And it invites us to look a little bit closer. We talked about Lot. We talked about David. And David was a man after God's own heart. But today I would like to continue. It's almost one up that. When we talk about the, the father, the originator of, the, of the, um, the nation of Israel was a fellow named Abraham. And what the Bible says about Abraham was that he was a friend of God. That's a pretty high statement, don't you think? And it is mentioned not just once, but I believe it is three times in Scripture. And, and the fact that this statement is made about him makes this individual special, don't you think? Especially when we consider the importance of friendship. But friendship is an important thing, don't you think? Our health and our happiness depend on our friends largely. And this is particularly relevant for us, where we have come through a time where there was a, there was a, a, a pandemic that took place, and, and it almost was like we have forgotten how to make friends that we need to break the pattern of learned loneliness. And I find that it's friendship that makes a church great. Pastors will come and go. There will be great times of worship, and then there'll be times where maybe another church might have a little bit of worship or better worship. And, and, and sometimes you're faced with the temptation of going from one to another, but the thing that will actually keep a person in the church are the people who are there. And so that's why it's important. That's why we, why we have things like the, the soup and, and, and pie, that we just want to be able to create um, that atmosphere. And there's a number of people. Maybe you, you haven't come, but you have been uh, listening online and you're kind of thinking of coming or, or you haven't been here for a while. And, and, and there's just something about the fact that when you all of a sudden become part of a congregation, there comes a time where you kind of go past the sermons and the songs and you get to know people. And there's this kind of a barrier, a friendship or this kind of barrier where all of a sudden you become involved. Either it's through a small group or maybe it's an activity that you help out in. And all of a sudden you begin to meet new people. And maybe you're here and you're kind of here for the first time just getting to know people. Let me just encourage you to keep on doing because it is the best part of church, isn't it? Don't you think? The times that I have joined, enjoyed the most in my life have been the time where I've had a lot of close friends around me. There's a quote that I came across. Of all people, Cassius Clay, Muhammad Ali, the heavyweight champion boxer of the world, you know, this guy that we kind of, kind of this super high-spirited individual, makes this quote about friendship. He said, friendship is the hardest thing in the world to explain. It's not something you learn in school. But if you haven't learned the meaning of friendship, you really haven't learned anything. That's true. There's a book that came out this year in, uh, in January of 2023. And it was called The Good Life. 
And the special thing about this book was that it was based on the longest study in history in terms of family and people. What happened was they started, Harvard University started in, I believe it was um, uh, 1938, to interview people. Every two years we would ask them involved questionnaires. I think it was about 730, uh, 730 people, 724 participants all over the world. And they asked them questions and they continually asked them questions for the last 85 years. Now I'm not too sure if there's one who started right at day one and is still kind of filling these things out. I'm not sure. But they found patterns, they found things, and they, they came across a number of interesting things. They said it's not career, achievement, money, exercise, or healthy diet. The most consistent finding we have learned that through 85 years of study is this. Positive relationships keep us help, happier, healthier, and help us live longer, period. That's what it says. And the Bible has told this through generations and generations. The gospel has basically been spread through friendship. Chances of you being here, many times you have won, been one to Jesus because someone who cared for you, a friend, someone close to you, told you about the truth of the gospel. And so when we get talking about friendship, James chapter 2 has something special to say to us. And I'm going to read from James chapter uh, 2, verse 21 to 23, but I'll kind of, I kind of got the, the one passage up to the other, which kind of is, is the important one, but it is all important. How many of you enjoy the book of James? It's a great book, isn't it? The brother of Jesus says this, and, and what, he, what he, he starts to say is in, in, in verse 21, it says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Now, many of you enjoy the book of James, but perhaps you didn't realize that when they were gathering together to put together the New Testament scriptures. They had to determine what was that which was legitimate scripture, authorized word of God scripture, and what was not. That the last book to make it, or one of the last books to make it, was the book of James. Martin Luther, when he talks about James, calls it an epistle of straw. Why would he say that? It's kind of interesting. It's one of my favorite books. What was the problem? Well, the problem was at that time, that the church was fighting this thought that there were these Judaizers that saying, you know what, you have to do these things in order to be saved. That it was this kind of works that you had to do and that's how salvation came. And, and the church was saying, no, you are justified by faith. And so the accusation was to James, the brother, Jesus, that this is what you're implying, that there's salvation through works. But that's not what he was saying. He was basically saying, if faith is the root of salvation, then the things that you do afterwards should be the fruit salvation. And that if your faith doesn't show for something, he says that it's dead. Faith without works is dead. That's the statement. It's kind of interesting. When you take a look at Abraham, he is seen in, in Hebrews chapter 11. And for those of you who don't know about Hebrews chapter 11, it is called the, the faith chapter where, where exploits of faith were happening. When you read the story of Abraham in, in Hebrews chapter 11, about 12 verses cover his story. 
Now there's 40 verses in Hebrews. So almost one quarter of the faith chapter deals with Abraham and his life. It's incredible if you stop and think about it. Like David had this uniqueness in the fact that he was a man after God's own heart. But there, there's something about Abraham when it says that he was a friend of God because it denotes a level of intimacy. That he wasn't just an acquaintance of God. It said that he was a friend of God. So what was it? I asked myself. Now, when you read in Hebrews chapter, or sorry, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, that it says that, that Abraham was a friend of God, the literal translation says this, that Abraham loved me. It's interesting as the way they put it, and it all leads me to ask some really important questions that we kind of need to figure out a little bit anyways. Like, what is, what is my idea, what is your idea of friendship? If a person is your friend, what are the ingredients? How does a, a person qualify for friendship? Well, I think I, I, I kind of want to like the person who is that friend. I think that that's an important thing, don't you? If it's a chore for me to like you, chances are I'm not going to be your friend. The other thing is this, there's this reciprocal faith, this reciprocal aspect to friendship that, that it's, it's more than a one-way street, it's a two-way street. It kind of brought my memory back to, to uh, the, that Looney Tune cartoon where there was two dogs, a great big one and a small one, and the small one was called Chester and the, the big one was called Spike. Remember that one? And Spike would be like, hey, Spike, what do you want to do it? Spike, 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 hey, Spike, 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 Spike. And, 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 and Spike just said, I get lost. At that time, we gave him a backhand. I guess we don't do that these days. Friendship's not like that. Friendship has a whole lot more to do with it. I remember my daughter talking about her friends. She says, I measure my friends by what I don't say. That I can spend almost a whole afternoon and not say anything and just be glad that I'm with that individual. Yeah, it's lots of things. What else can we add? Like trustworthiness, dependability. You gotta have empathy. They gotta be care. Sense of humor. Sense of humor is, is, is there. The ability to listen, to be loyal, to be accepting, to be positive, to be forgiving, to be generous. Book of Proverbs, man, it talks a whole lot about friendship. One of the best, one of the best things about uh, Book of Proverbs in Proverbs 17, verse 17 says this a friend loves at all times. It's an important thing, isn't it? I might take a look. The Mayo Clinic, one of the most famous uh, cancer hospitals, basically did a study and they found out that there's a direct correlation between good health and good friendship that increases your belonging and your purpose and therefore your hope and, and a good friend will boost your happiness and reduce your stress. That we found that people with lots of friends also have good self-confidence and self-worth. But it's more than that. Your good friends will be with you in the good days, but they will be with you even more so in the dark days. Through the traumas, through the tragedy, through the serious illness, through the job loss, through the death of a loved one. And by now you are probably thinking of one individual or two individuals that are in your life that do that. And if you can't think of that person, ask yourself, if my life were to fall apart who would be the first person that I would contact? That would be your friend, wouldn't it, outside of your family? And best friends challenge me. Best friends don't always agree with me. Best friends work to make me better. Best friends talk me off a ledge. 
In the darkest days, I am with my friends. And when I receive truth from a friend, I take it. And sometimes my friends tell me truths that I don't want to hear. Sometimes, sometimes friendship requires a person to risk hurting another individual. And one thing you can't overlook is that we have friends who trust us, but friends entrust things to us. There was a time this week where I called up a friend and they were in the middle of a, of a tough situation. He didn't hesitate to tell me something which was extremely personal. We talked it through. You know, you kind of see that with Abraham and God. It was Abraham that, or God that told Abraham that he was going to, to do something to Sodom and Gomorrah. And kind of interesting how all these things adds up. And even though I can kind of put together some type of definition, some kind of idea, and it'll probably be very similar to the one that you have kind of conjured up as we kind of talk about this. And we ask ourselves, can we even compare that to God? Is my love and my friendship with God similar to that which I have with a person that is finite? What do I do, what do, I do when it is actually God? And the Bible just gives us clues in James, Isaiah, and the author of Genesis. It basically says this, that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. I just wrote this down. His life exempted, exemplified believing in God, implicitly trusting God, and continually stepping into the fact that God said what he said was true, despite the times and conditions where that may have been the opposite. And as I look at Abraham, and, and as I call to you to look at Abraham, I have found something distinct. I think that I've made a mistake every time I've thought about Abraham. The thought when I thought that Abraham was a friend of God was that if I did these things, then God tend, tended to, be, to love me a little bit more. But the reality is this, God can't love you anymore. God is love. So how do I become a friend of God? The only conclusion that I can come to was this. That Abram, in, in passionately obeying God, despite what everything else said, he believed God. And not only did he believe in God, he stepped out into that. And when he did that, it allowed himself to draw closer to the Lord. That there was a level of intimacy that was in his life with God that was rare. And I begin to ask myself, can that happen to me? Psalm 24, verse 14 says, The Lord confides in those who fear him. And so this is what I've done. If you could give me a couple of minutes. I want to show you four in indications, four times in Abraham's life where he believed God. He passionately followed God no matter what. And the importance of these times of this is that they're all moments, they're all times that you will experience in your life. Every single one of them, all four of them, will happen to you and probably are happening at some point in your life right now. So if we could look at them. Here's the first thing. Abraham believed God and he was willing to put his future on the line. When God first comes before Abraham and says, I'm going to make you a great nation... Abraham had to agree with it. If you pick up the story in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, this is what it says. 
And the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And verse 4 says this, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him. And then a few chapters later, God has a covenant that he makes, an everlasting covenant that he makes with Abraham. And you kind of sit, and you look at that, and you say, well, big deal. I think I could do that as well. But before you say that, let me kind of point out a few things that are important. That Abraham came from a generation of people that just worshipped idols. He didn't have any kind of models whatsoever. He was kind of going blank here. He was the pioneers. He set out and said, I'll do it, despite the fact that nobody else was doing it. The other thing is this. He came from a place called Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, history has shown us that in Ur of the Chaldeans, there is this, this, this huge temple that was, was built and was, was made there. And it, was, and it is, was such a strong structure that that building, that temple, is still around today. Chances are that Abraham saw this building, when it was newer, of course, obviously. But the thing about that was that Ur of the Chaldeans was a pretty profitable place. To be able to have something like that of such magnificence, the community was doing well. And so was Abraham in all likeliness, if you take a look at what the scriptures are saying. If you read between the lines, Canaan was unproven at the very least. Hebrews said that he lived in tents. The distance between Ur, the Chaldeans, and Canaan land, the promised land, 2,400 kilometers. So basically, God was asking Abraham to get up, or Abram at that time, to get up and travel 2,400. 400 kilometers, and he says, sure, why not? He also had no history of Yahweh. He couldn't say, oh yeah, Yahweh, the one, who, the one who did this, the one who did that, the one who did all these wonderful things. He was at the beginning of it. Those later on in the history could look at the fact that, that God had delivered them from the hands of Pharaoh, that God had done all these miracles, that they crossed the sea on dry ground, all these things. They had things to hang their faith on. Abraham didn't. It was completely within his, own, within his own heart to say this cold turkey. And when I take a look at my own life, I have had problems walking across the room if God has asked me. Has that not happened to you? I remember as a youth pastor here over 25 years ago, God speaking to me in this, at this altar about a friend of mine. And I did not want to go to them. I said, oh, that's just me. I'm just, I'm just kind of being crazy here. I'm just at the altar and God is doing something crazy and I'm just mishearing him. And, and so I made a promise to God that I said, listen, God, if you want me to say this to this person, then have them come walk into my office and sit on my couch. And I left for lunch right away. And I played basketball till you know, 2, 3.30. And I closed my door. I don't normally close my door when I get in the office. And so what happens is I close. I got a half an hour left and this person comes in. I can hear him mumbling. Is Mike in? Oh. 
And he came and he opened the door and he sat on my couch and I still hesitated. Two days later, I told him. What a crazy thing. And so we take a look at this individual. He said, go, and he goes, blindly. How much of our future have we actually given to the Lord? Is he the CEO, or is he just a person that you consider? Is he just, is he just a, uh, uh, what would the word be? Would he, would he be just a person that, you, that is a, a person that you uh, confide, a consultant? I don't know if you remember Jonathan Rumi, or if you know who Jonathan Rumi is, um, for those of you who don't, he is the actor that plays Jesus in that successful um, series called The Chosen. Have you seen The Chosen? He was also a star in the recent movie, Jesus Revolution. He tells a story about the fact that he was in Hollywood for eight years, got nothing. He says, it was May 2018. I had $100 overdraft in my bank account I had $20 in my pocket, and I had maxed out my credit cards. And I remember getting out of bed and going for breakfast and, and thinking to myself, well, I thought God had something really big in charge of me. But he said, all of a sudden, I began to realize, as God began to speak to my heart, that I'd given everything to God except my career. When it came to my career, God helps those who help themselves instead of God helps those who rely on him. He said, all of a sudden, I began to change my prayer, and I just said, God, I surrender. God, I surrender. God, I surrender. He says, after, practice, after breakfast, I, I walked, went to my mailbox, and there were three checks in the mailbox. Three months later, the producer of The Chosen offered him the job for The Chosen. Have we given him our future? Have we believed God to the point where he said, God, your future is mine? Second one's an important one. It says Abraham was willing to put his finances on the line. If you take a look at Genesis chapter 14, verse 20, and Hebrews, even Hebrews chapter 7, basically says this, and, and it may not seem like something which is significant to you, that as God began to bless and work in Abraham's life, it said that Abraham gave Melchizedek, who was the high priest of God, 10%. You say, well, what's so special about that? Well, this is the very first time that we actually hear about tithing. And there are people who say, well, you know, tithing was an Old Testament uh, institution that was brought upon by the law. The only problem with that is this, that Abraham preceded the law. The law didn't come until a couple of hundreds of years after. So before there was the institution of tithing, tithing was actually already happening and taking place. And the truth of the matter is this, and I'm not too sure if you've been a Christian for, for, for weeks or for years, but this is something that I can guarantee you, that when it comes to believing in God and surrendering your heart and, and doing what he says, finances will always be a thing. And the reason for that is this, that it is the closest competition to the affections of our heart. Finances will always be there. It is a powerful thing in our lives. And I'm not too sure whether you um, believe in tithing or not. But the truth is this. Sometimes we get the mentality is that that 10% is the Lord's. The truth of the matter is this. All of it's the Lord's. Everything that we own belongs to the Lord. 
And when you give God everything, including your finances, you will find that God will trust you in other areas. And it's Luke 6, which just says, you know, give and it'll come back to you full measure. But the big part of that verse is this. Because the measure that you use to be generous will be the measure that God uses to bless you. If you give in thimbles, God will give you back in thimblefuls. If you give in shovel loads, God will give you back in shovel loads. That's what the Word of God says. He was able to, to put everything on the line, including his finances. Now it gets a little bit deeper. He was able and willing to put his frustrations on the line. Well, where do we see that? Well, let me draw you back to the attention that God said that he was going to make a nation out of him. The problem was he had no children. And so God had kind of promised him, I am going to give you someone so that your line can continue on. Now, I find myself a pretty reasonable person. If I'm 35, I'm saying, okay, God, well, we better get going. 45 years old, I say, well, God, you know, I'm not getting any younger. 55, maybe I got this wrong. God, can we review this again? 65, okay, I'm facing retirement age. I'm getting really old, 75, 85, 95, and still no son. And I would imagine that there were a lot of questions and even more frustrations. What does a centenarian say to justify the fact that he doesn't have an heir and he's believing that God is wanting him to be the one to start the Hebrew nation? You know what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 12 says? He says, God used someone who was as good as dead. <laughs> That's the terminology. He's as good as dead. And God somehow moved and worked in his life. And I'll tell you this. I have read the scriptures. You know, Colossians 1.17, God holds things all together. Ephesians 1.11, that God works all things according to his purpose and his will. And let's not forget the, 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 the chief verse that we use. Romans 8.28, many of you could quote it. For we know that in all things God works to good to those who love him. And in the midst of this, I will be the first to admit to you that I have been frustrated by the fact that God hasn't done what he said he has done, even though I've kind of hung around. And I begin to wonder, God, is, did I actually hear you right? You see, it's easy to serve God when all is going well. It's not so easy to serve God when things are not going well. And when I understand, I can figure it out, but I have a harder time serving God when I don't understand or maybe when I deserve it. Hey, yeah, I know I kind of wasn't disobedient. I know these things happen. Well, what happens when I feel that I don't deserve it? Well, when everyone suffers, it's okay. But what happens when I'm the only one who suffers? When God hands it out fairly, it's okay. But what happens when it's not fair? What do you do when God conceivably makes a promise that he doesn't keep? And if you're looking for some huge answer for me, I don't know. I don't know why God allows us to be frustrated, but what he does tell us is to believe. And I don't know exactly, I can't give you an answer. All I can tell you is this, that when you serve God through frustration, when he doesn't give you the answers, 
that there is a level of intimacy that comes to us when we say, God, I'm going to serve you anyways. Even in all the hurt, even in all the confusion, even in all the anger, I'm going to serve you. Those are the times when we really draw close to Jesus. So I'm not too sure what you're going through. I'm not too sure what to say to you. Other than this, give him everything. I don't understand. Yeah, just give him everything. Well, hold on a second. This is not fair. Let God do what he has to do in you and don't figure it out. And you will draw close to Jesus. There is an opportunity for you to draw close to Jesus like never before. He was willing to put his frustrations on the line. And now the crescendo. He was willing to put his family on the line. We all know this story. Most of us know this story, don't we? Genesis chapter 22. Everything's going well. They got a baby. Baby is probably about 15 years old at this time, which means that Abraham is 115 years old. And God wakes him up and says, listen, I want you to sacrifice your son. Excuse me, God? Did you say you wanted me to sacrifice a bun? No. I want you to sacrifice your son. And all of a sudden, I'm not too sure exactly all the things. I think a key part of that passage is, is Genesis chapter 22, verse 8, where Isaac says, hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? We're going to give a sacrifice. Where's the sacrifice? And his statement is this. Son, I believe that God's going to provide a sacrifice. And I'm not too sure the ins and outs of all that. It's such a confusing story to me as I read it. I would imagine that God is just trying to test him and, and, and there wasn't anything there. The one thing I do know is this. Is when it comes to my faith, God can kind of do anything he wants to me. But when all of a sudden, my son is on the line, my mother is on the line, my brother is on the line, my father is on the line, that my faith issue goes up exponentially. Have you ever prayed this prayer? God, you can do anything to me. But my daughter is suffering right now. And if it's possible, can we trade places? I don't know if they can bear that burden, and I don't know if I could, but I would rather put myself in that place rather than watch them go through those places. And I have found, for over 30 years of ministry, that it is a terrible thing when people go through difficult times, but many and oftentimes, those who suffer more are those who are sitting by and can't do anything about it. Does that resonate with you? Have you had that happen in your life. Maybe you're going through that right now. You just had a baby dedication. I think that, that God was in that. Baby dedication is when we come up and we, we, we pray over that cute little baby and as I take a look at that cute little baby and I think, God, allow this child to grow up and be mighty for you. But there comes a point in the parent's mind, in our parent's mind, as I was dedicating my children to the Lord, that I had to say, God, this is yours. This is your child. 
So from now on, whatever you want to do, I am going to let you do what you need to do through this child. Whether pleasure or in pain, I will give you rain. And that's not always an easy thing to do. But I believe, now someone said this, there's nothing more dear to God than the tears of a mother. I believe that's true, probably incomplete. I think there's nothing more closer to the heart of God than the tears of a father, the tears of a brother, the tears of a sister, the tears of a friend who ache for those people who are around them. And again, I can't tell you why you go through some of the situations or maybe you're here and you have a child that's a thousand miles away from God or someone who is in your life who is sick and there's nothing that you can do about it. But I can tell you this, if you can keep from being bitter, if you can get over the round of being angry with God, that there is a level of intimacy that you will get in no other place. It's the only way that it is explained. Abraham believed God. He walked it out. And at the end, he became a friend of God. Not because God moved, but because Abraham moved. And he offers the same thing to you and to me today. Will I be obedient in my frustrations? Will I be obedient in my finances? Will I be obedient in my future? Will I be obedient in my family? That is the key to friendship with God. It doesn't make God love you anymore, but it allows there to be a level of intimacy with him. And the burning question that we have for you who are here today and for those of you who are joining online is this. Do you want that intimacy? God, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that you will move in a powerful way. Lord, I know, Lord, that the the thing about this sermon is that I know that it hits all of us in every single area. And I just want to take an opportunity, Father, for people to be able to take the step and say, God, I surrender everything to you. I'm going to believe you. No matter what's going on, I'm going to believe you. I might be at the lowest rung on the ladder, but I'm going to believe you. My children are going through the most difficult time, but I'm going to believe you. God, my finances, I give to you because I believe that it's for you, Father. And Lord, when I give to you, the happiest I'm going to be is when I give to you, Father, everything. Lord, my career, everything that I do, Father, My future, God, I give to you. I walk it out, Father. I become obedient to you, Father. Even when I don't understand it, God, I give to you. And I pray for the blessing of God. I pray for the intimacy of Christ to become real in our lives right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.